when you're talking about just debut albums, I love debut albums. As I, as I said in my intro, an artist has their entire life to make their debut album. And some people will not get out of the gate. They will just kill it on that debut album. They will just be like, oh my God, that's incredible. A lot of people say, oh my God, The Strokes, they're, they're going to be the hottest, greatest new band. And then you realize, eh, they might be their best, actually. And then other bands like Pulp or other rappers, they or like Lil Wayne, they will put out a debut album and it's like, okay, you know, and then they eventually find their artistic voice a little bit later. You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to It's All Dead. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com. Uh, thanks for being with us. We took a little bit of a break like we usually do uh, around the holidays. So, um, you know, doing all those end of the year lists really takes a lot out of a person. And so we have to, to catch our breath before we come back and then start counting down all of the most anticipated albums of the new year. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope everyone had an awesome uh, time through the holidays uh, here in Indy. We just had like eight inches of snow yesterday. Um, this is officially my least favorite time of year um, for, for those reasons. I hate, hate winter. Um, but you know what? We're going to trunge through. We're going to talk about music. We're going to look forward to brighter things in the new year. There is a lot of awesome albums supposedly coming our way in 2019. And if you've been to uh, it's all dead.com in the past week, you've uh, seen that we've begun to count those down one by one. Um, we've got some more coming this week before we finish that up, but I uh, hope you enjoy what you're seeing there. And if there's stuff that you're not seeing that you wish you had, uh, reach out to us, Twitter, Facebook, email, all those fun ways that people interact. Um, we would love to hear from you. Um, so kicking off the podcast in the new year, you know, last year I was looking for a reason to have Evan Soddy back on the podcast. He was on with us, uh, I think the fall of 2017 came on. Uh, he's an editor at Pop Matters. I uh, got to know him while I was writing there. Um, and I, I follow him closely because he really, to me, embodies what it looks like, I mean, right now to write and think about music. Uh, he's got his own podcast as well, The Chartographers, but he does a, a lot of great work at Pop Matters. Also has been writing for a website called Yard Barker. Um, it's been cool to kind of follow some stuff he's done there, but uh, he, we had a great time when he was on the last podcast. Multiple people, like people that are listening right now, have said to me, you need to have Evan back on the podcast. Well, last week... I was on the internet and I saw on Twitter that Evan had done an article and I, I can't call this an article. He'd done a project, I guess, uh, for Yard Barker. Um, and it was essentially when I saw the tweet, it was something around the lines of the 50 best debut albums of all time. And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. And when I clicked through to it, not only was it that it was the best debut albums of the last 50 years by year. So he went back 50 years and picked out on this given year, what was the best debut album that came out? My mind was blown. The feature's fantastic. If you haven't seen this, go now. You can go to, to yardbarker.com um, and check out this feature. It is absolutely fantastic. And it's cool because not only does he write about each of these albums, but he writes about the albums that were in consideration. I mean, there's just so much to it. I have so many questions to ask him. But before I start doing that, Evan, you're here. Welcome. Thank you for being back yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Kyle. I mean, I got to be honest, I did some research. I'm so excited. Where are we going to start out? We're going to talk about Foster Griffin. We're going to talk about Donnie Dews. <laughs> oh, why are we going to do it? Yeah. Tell me where to so, go. So, 
Frank Schwindel. <laughs> All right. Cool. The, the amazing part about this is I am so unqualified uh, to talk about so much of this list. I've got it pulled up right now. The the best debut album of 1968. Like, look, folks, I don't know, <laughs> and I and I wouldn't. I, I'm just not going to be able to know. And but I there are parts about this that I am that I do know, and I'm interested in talking about. But even the parts I don't know, I think I'm just as interested in talking about that. And, and Evan, I, to start this all off, like, where did this idea come from? Was this an idea that you had in your mind that you'd been thinking about? Uh, this is actually not something that I had in my mind at all. Uh, one of the nice things about uh, Yard Barker, which is an MSN affiliate, like Yard Barker is pretty much a sports site. So they're going to post a lot about stuff, but they have kind of a burgeoning entertainment division. And a lot of the things that get published on there ultimately get picked up and put through on MSN. So sometimes like I'll be quoted on MSN, but it's like, you know, you know, from Yard Barker, you know, it's yeah. like kind of one of those crossover type deals. And uh, so one of the things is that while it's throughout my career, I've just never been good at pitching like every yeah. month you know like you know if it pop matters other place i'm just not great at be like yeah i should do this about this and you should pay me this much i don't know like it's just one mm -hmm. of those things that i've just always had a difficult time with but if someone's just like hey can you pick up on this can you handle this then great and one of the nice things about yard marker is that they'll they'll toss me a couple things like the best and worst Grammy moments of the past 10 years. Yeah, I, can, I can do that pretty easily. Uh, when they asked me to do the best and worst moments of the Latin Grammys of the last 10 years, <laughs> that required a little bit of stretching and I was happy to do it. And, you know, there are a couple of things that either due to time or, you know, cause I'm getting married this year, especially I'm not going to have as much time. Yeah. Uh, you know, like between that or a couple other things, like I'll be like, nah, that's not really my wheelhouse. Sometimes I'll stretch myself. But when this one came through, it was the 50 best debut albums of the past years. First off, why did they want this article for two reasons? One, initially, it was just because the big one, the big one we're all talking about, 50 years since Led Zeppelin 1 came out. Yeah. And uh, that was, you know, obviously they want to do so they celebrate that. There's a bunch of other articles that are kind of running around those times. There's another post by another writer. It's uh, albums that critics hated at first, mm. uh, you know, like kind of running along those lines. Yeah. And then uh, they also kind of amended it because with the Grammys coming up, by the time this article came out, uh, Cardi B had gotten like eight nominations and, you know, including album of the year. And they're like, is there a way to kind of tie those two together a little bit? So there was kind of a branch between 50 years ago, we had Led Zeppelin and then all all the way up to present day, we had, we had Cardi B. So like their debut albums, right? Yeah. So they kind of wanted to have a through line through it. So they're like, go at it. And one thing I will say is that while it was a cool opportunity and I liked it because as ambitious as it was, I also knew it was going to be a lot of research. My editor did pose one question to me, which was, how do you want to do this? Would you want to do the greatest debut albums or the most influential debut mm -hmm. albums? And... That's a tricky, tricky little wicket yeah. there. Got to be honest. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like I ultimately went with greatest debut album because if you went by influential, you can immediately kind of take some albums and be like, oh, they're pretty good. But look at, you know, what it led to, you know, there's kind of that vibe to it. But once you get to like 2016, 2017, that becomes a harder thing to quantify. So ultimately, I just figure let's just stick with greatest debut album and just kind of roll from there. Yeah. And I'm really interested. And in, I had that question posed for a little bit later, but I'm going to I, I want to skip ahead to it now in terms of the the criteria you used 
Um, you know, some years, you know, as you look through this, it's just obvious. Like 1998, mm-hmm. the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Like there's really not a lot of argument there. Um, there were other years. Well, except there is, though. That's the problem. I will. Let me just briefly say this about this. When it came to Lauren Hill for 1998, one thing that we tried to do is that I tried to make it albums first off. Because you could go with EPs. You could go with first releases. Yeah. You could, you know, throw the buzzcocks on any list and it would be, you know, fantastic. But then you also have the other difficulty, too, of just what qualifies as a debut. And with Lauren Hill, I got to be honest, I cheated a little bit. Sure. Because a lot of other places on the list, there's a lot of times like, well, this is their debut album, but they were in a group previously. Right. Like, it's really hard to quantify Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and yet the solo careers of each, because there's Neil Young's first solo album. And it's just like, yeah, I get that. you run into all these different things. Exactly. So, like, I did cheat a little bit with Lauren Hill, but that's, like, the only real, like, major cheat I was able to pull off. Yeah, no, fair enough. And then, so there was an example of me just looking and spouting something off, but you make a really great point there. Um, there are other years. So like the one that stuck out to me just as I was flipping through it the first time, and I don't know why, but I'm going to be fascinated to talk about this, but 99, uh, Britney Spears, you know, like that, I, what I want to get a sense of is when you were looking at 1999 and you're using this set of criteria that you've developed to say this was the greatest debut album of a given year, What were there some specific things or certain uh, you know, levers you were pulling to kind of, you know, crunch that data to to spit out what actually was the greatest album? Well, first off, let me just say about this massive project, which uh, my fiance, he has uh, dealt with uh, a lot of late nights of yeah, me just like sure. typing away at a keyboard for a long, because if it's like an article or something, one, maybe two days, but this was like, you know, uh, more than a week work of research. And the first thing, honestly, was just getting down every single album going through year by year, looking at the different archives and the things that are available to determine what year is a debut album out. And sometimes the information is a little bit iffy or sometimes maybe the, you know, dates aren't exact. In fact, one of the write-ups that I did, I had Tool for 1995 for Undertow, but that was actually 1993. My editor corrected me. I had no idea how I got mm. that for 1995. If that was like a re-release or, or what, but I was like, ah. So uh, first off, I had to get everything down. And then after that, I had to do the more difficult thing of narrowing down what really is now when you get to like mid 90s or something like that i mean kyle i know you and i are hip young 20 something people but uh you know <laughs> it's uh it was just something where like that was a lot more of a comfort zone thing the closer you get to the present day clearly we have a lot more experience of which sure. we can speak to like you know this is our realm we're both music journalists we can talk about mm, country grammar by nelly i didn't know where that stands in the light of things right. you know but then when it came down and so the a lot of the older years i had to do a lot of research i had to listen to a lot of things as well which was probably one of my favorite parts of just kind of discovering things like oh this is fantastic or oh this is terrible Uh, and so when it came down to 1999 and britney spears i'm gonna exclusively reveal to the it's all dead audience my short list that i had for there in terms of debut albums because this was a very pop heavy year but we had on the six by jennifer lopez the white stripes by the white stripes slipknot by slipknot christina aguilera by christina aguilera britney spears baby one more time the beta bands, the beta band, American football by American football, and on how life is by Macy Gray. 
And then on t- – so with that rubric in mind, the tough thing, and I think, Kyle, you will also know this about the list as well. When you're talking about just debut albums, I love debut albums. As I, as I said in my intro, an artist has their entire life to make their debut album. And some people will not get out of the gate. They will just kill it on that debut album. They will just be like, oh, my God, that's incredible. A lot of people say, oh, my God, The Strokes. They're, they're going to be the hottest, greatest new band. And then you realize, eh, that might be their best, actually. Yeah. And then other bands like Pulp or other rappers they or like Lil Wayne they will put out a debut album and it's like okay you know and then they eventually Uh find their artistic voice a little bit later so like immediately knowing that there are certain groups like radiohead or other people that will just immediately not be on this list because their debut album was just not on that same level and so when it came down to this when you talk about all the people that we just described i like the white stripes first album like it's you know it's it's pretty good but it's definitely not what they came into i know there's some purists that are just like oh they're absolutely the best slipknot is also in consideration too but can we be honest that their greatest achievement is iowa like i don't want to necessarily have their greatest album later on preclude the fact that they had a pretty good debut but when it came down to it especially when you're trying to not talk about influence like listen britney spears baby one more time that is an iconic album because not just of the way the pop singles were it was also the era that ushered in Mm -hmm. you can argue about the influence of the album but this was basically the rubric the template the ground zero for what the teen pop revival of the late 2000s would be and honestly what a lot of pop music would become after the fact too because they're fluffy silly little songs and god damn it they all get stuck in your head because sometimes you run sometimes you cry you know it's just it's just just how it goes you know so like i had to go with it like i can't believe i'm going with this top 40 radio fluff for this but like legitimately that was a great debut album that was an absolute pronouncement of an artist and a statement and ultimately what we didn't know at the time and it's a statement an announcement of a style of a whole new changing of the guard in terms of pop music so it's like okay that's that's going to be the best yep And, and what i love about the way that you did this and just kind of the um you know, you, you mentioned the dilemma of like the Lauren Hill album, but you really were, um, you know, you really stuck to the rules here because when I looked at 99, the first thing that popped in my head was like, oh, that, that was the year the Slim Shady LP came out. Well, yeah, Eminem put out Infinite as mm-hmm. I guess what you would call his official debut album. Nobody heard it unless you were <laughs> like going to Rhymefest or listening to a lot of underground indie hip hop at the time, which I was, but I, the general public would view the Slim Shady LP as the debut, but you're playing by a very real and honest set of rules, which says actually, no, there was a, a full length album that existed before this. And I, that was really fascinating for me to kind of go through this. And I, I kept getting tripped up by that and being like, oh yeah, there was this other thing that came before. Right. So it was... And to be honest, my editor uh, tripped me up one other time too, outside of when I had the tool thing wrong, it was when it came down to the year 2011. Uh, my initial pick that i had was house of balloons by the weekend uh Mm. which i think is an incredible astonishing release and the thing is that she pushed back on it because the following year i had channel orange by frank ocean and you could argue whether or not channel orange is truly frank ocean's debut since previously he had uh, nostalgia ultra which is technically a mixtape and the thing is, her argument was the fact that House of Balloons, good as it was, and we can talk about House of Balloons all goddamn day, make no mistake, that was still technically a mixtape, which I guess I didn't necessarily think about it, because when it first came out, I just always thought of it as like, oh, it's an album. Like, they, all all three of those, you know, trilogy yeah. releases struck me as albums. So that's one where, like, 24 hours before the deadline, we can't run with that if you're going to go ahead and have tri- uh, Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. I'm like, ah! So then I had, yeah. to, uh, I had to randomly pull up and look at my backup, which I had there, which was uh, Shabazz Palace's Black Up, which is still 
fantastic and otherworldly, but it was just a little bit of a last minute change I had to do for that very same reason yeah. of following the rules. That That's fascinating. I, so where did you, you know, we're looking over the course of 50 years here. Did you start in chronological order? Did you kind of go like, okay, in my head, I know like in, you know, this year, this was the album and kind of like go scattered like that. What was your process for like slowly building out and compiling this full list? All I did initially was before anything else, it's just a matter of getting, I mean, it's just like, cause if you think of this as a research project, I need raw data. That's the biggest thing I need. Cause there's no list that currently exists out there of like, here's every debut album that comes up by year. You have to assemble that yourself. And sometimes you have to go into surprising places. Like I don't necessarily think that writer by Carol King from 1970 is going to be on anyone's greatest debut albums list, but it was a debut album that came out there. I'll add it to my short list just so that I can actually have it there. And it's, it's also yeah. one of those things where as a rock critic you're of the mindset of you know and i feel like in you and i can you know talk about this for a while in terms of how i think for the longest time it was you know straight white men that were the rock critics and were determining a history that was mm-hmm. largely dominated by straight white men and so yeah. you have to really push yourself to be like well let's think about jazz let's think about pop let's think about r&b and hip-hop because once you get to the right. 80s obviously uh hip-hop is absolutely undeniable but when you're thinking about in 1970 you got to think about well funkadelic has got to be a part of the conversation Todd Rundgren has to be a part of that like you have to really realize there's more than just what we typically accept or what we know is just the standard rock genre and that's part of the reason why I had absolutely no problem putting Britney Spears where I did because listen a great pop album is a great pop album you can dismiss it mm-hmm. I understand why you would dismiss it but you also can't deny it at the same time so really all I needed was raw data and then once I had down the like you know four or five you know prominent debut albums that came out with any given year it just came a matter of just listening and determining some things i knew some things are you know yeah. no-brainers because like listen say what you will 1969 led zeppelin by led zeppelin that's a pretty sure. great album sorry guys there's no way yeah. around it uh and for me too that was one where on our podcast that we had for the chartographers where we rank an entire artist discography from worst to first i was a strong and ardent defender of led zeppelin because the, the other people on the podcast were mm. like well you know they were i mean it's not really them they were kind of adapting covers so i'm like yeah but that's what made it so good the fact that they were taking these blue standards and reinterpreting them in a new fascinating raucous context and you know it was just right. the whole thing so uh yeah once you have the raw data you just build it out from there and then honey you get into some tough calls there so if you don't mind uh kyle i'm gonna switch up the rules a little bit here for you mm-hmm. uh, i oh please I, do. I shared with you my uh short list that i have of every yeah. single year of every single album and short is not really the <laughs> the word i would use for this but yeah i, I get what you're yeah. going <laughs> so i would if you wouldn't mind i want to throw at you just gut instinct i want to throw with you a year i had difficulty with i'll tell you my two most difficult years in a bit but this is one particularly difficult year and i want to see how you would respond to it if you wouldn't mind yeah. doing me a favor reading off the short list i had for 1995 and tell me what you would okay pick. Yeah, I and I was looking at this one as you were talking a little bit ago and thinking like, oh shit, that's hard. <laughs> right. Um, so you've got uh, Cheshire Cat by Blink-182, Pieces of You by Jewel, which that CD was a staple in my uh, bedroom. Oh. AM by Wilco, uh, This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan, Fun Trick Noisemaker by Apples and Stereo, Undertow by well, Tool. Except we know that's 1993 now, so we can strike that, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Folds 5. Uh, Trace by Sunvolt, Adrenaline by Deftones, Fungus Among Us by Incubus, Garbage, Exit Planet Dust by Chemical Brothers, Brown Sugar by D'Angelo, 
uh, in Dandy's Rule Okay by Dandy Warhols. And this is fascinating because I told you I went through and picked out a select number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, this was one of them. And I spent I spent more time thinking about 1995 than any of them as I went through this list. And I think you made the right call. And the, and the reason, so you chose garbage. Mm-hmm. And that shocked me because I feel like, I feel like I've been living since 1995 as like the only person who really truly appreciated that yeah. album and what it was. And so to see you listed on there, I was like, Oh my God, like somebody else like gets this. Now I, you know, it's hard to argue Foo Fighters. I, I think Jules in the discussion. I mean, there's a lot of great bands that made a debut this year, but like you talked about with like, is that really like so many of those bands like Incubus, Foo Fighters, Blink, they all made way better albums later right. on. I think the closest argument for me was D'Angelo, mm-hmm. but in the end, like I just kind of have a personal attachment to Garbage. So for me, that's kind of what, you know, that's what takes it for me. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing, like, I didn't tell my editor as I was doing this, but in terms, instead of just doing a pronouncement on every single slide that I developed, I had to have a runner-up on there. I just yeah, kind of wanted to that. just incite the conversation there. And for me, the runner-up was D'Angelo, Brown Sugar. Uh, just because, like, as well, clearly we know that Voodoo is basically the masterpiece, and you could argue, I didn't connect with Black Messiah in the same way a lot of other people did, sure. but... Brown Sugar is still a phenomenal and fascinating, steeped in R&B history, soul groove album. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was the only other ones I had really in contention. And when you look at this list we have, like I could strike out AM by Wilco right away. Cause like that one, they went on to do better things. It was just a debut. It wasn't a, a grand statement, but like chemical brothers and Danny Warhols were like my close seconds on that year. But ultimately I feel like garbage. They were the ones who were innovating, especially lyrically uh, taking, yeah. you know, these, some of these very striking and different concepts and pushing them out here into the alternative rock realm. And I was a big fan of it. So yeah, 1995, was a tough year. Um, yeah. Can I tell you my other tough year? Please. 2004. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. So I disagree <laughs> with you on that one. <laughs> okay. Let's go into it. Uh, you won't be surprised, I don't think. Um, but yeah, so you chose 2004. You had Arcade Fire. And I think that's a pretty common pick. Um, mm-hmm. But there's there's a lot of good ones in here. I mean, for me, and, and let's be honest, the past year and a half has completely changed my experience of Kanye West just like it has I think for a lot of people I mean this is somebody who was like literally my favorite artist and now I almost can't stand to listen to him mm-hmm. but college dropout for me uh came out when I you know was a, a sophomore in college and that album was like a really it's one of those albums that comes out in college and it like means something to you mm-hmm. um and for me as somebody that loved hip-hop I mean that was the first genre I loved so early to mid 90s I mean going through middle school and high school like it, it was a genre I loved and you know as the genre grew and and kind of bled over into the mainstream there were a lot of things that changed and for me college dropout embodied that spirit that a lot of early hip-hop had in terms of the importance of sampling uh just a a really strong social message there were so many things about it for me that like just made it perfect um but on the other hand i mean we can look we can argue for multiple albums this year arcade fire is certainly in the discussion i i I feel like i could make a pretty strong argument for hot fuss by the killers too so So many people when i mentioned because i shared the my shortlist with a couple other of my music friends just to be like here's what i'm running with here so many people are just like well it's got to be hot fuss by the killers it's like it's got to be i'm like really and 
I mean, I was there when that came out. I remember working in a music store when I got a call from Island Records and they wanted to know how well the album was performing because Mr. Brightside just shipped to radio uh, mm-hmm. and they kind of wanted to get a survey of it. Like, it's it's one of those things where you don't necessarily think of Hot Fuss in the discussion of greatest albums of all time. But in terms of influence, in terms of culture, it mm-hmm. absolutely did. There's 100%. One- and there's honestly the great thing about it, especially when you got good music friends that you get to have these discussions with sometimes something comes up that you just weren't expecting at all whatsoever and i have to find it i think i have it here yep the year 2000 that one was a, a lot of amazing albums came out the year and i feel like that's yeah. around the time i really was like turning on to music and i've had so many people since this article came out frequently go up to me and just be like why didn't you go with hybrid theory by lincoln park and yep, I was even ask that. and like even and even like some uh, strike and it was just so fascinating to me because I just remember them being everywhere when it came out to the point of just like they were extremely popular. They obviously were connecting with people. And at the same time, like I just remember them. I remember people like sharing their songs. I remember the hype and the anticipation of the new album and Somewhere I Belong and that weird video dropping. And it's just mm-hmm. like to me, it just didn't strike me of like, oh, Linkin Park released a classic, 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 classic. It's just one of the things where I had it on the list. It was absolutely in consideration. But the emotional reaction people had to hybrid theory was just more striking than I even imagined. So that was, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I want to come back to 2000. I, I want to finish up 2004 okay. really quick. Talk quickly about, you know, I, again, this is a, I feel like I could look at somebody I know and ask them what the best debut album of 2004 was, and I could know what they were going to tell me. So I'm not surprised by your choice of Funeral by Arcade Fire, but quickly explain why that one kind of rose to the top for that specific year. Largely, or Funeral by Arcade Fire, especially when you put it up against these other albums like Hot Fuss by the Killers, Franz Ferdinand by Franz Ferdinand, like these, some of these albums are like stone cold end to end classics. And Funeral, like if you, especially if you divorce yourself from all the critical love that came out there, I know in many ways it seems like the obvious choice, but at the end of the day, I defy anyone to find a note that's out of place. I have issues mm. with Arcade Fire. I do. I especially more recent <laughs> recently. Let's be real. I sure. think kind of maybe we all do. Really, there's a great chartographer's episode about it. But honestly, Funeral is just so enmeshed. It's like it felt like thunder. It feels like fire. It feels like an entire orchestra shoved into a small bedroom that when inside your headphones. Like it's just this collision of emotion and opulence, and it, it's, it really captures the chaos and fury that sometimes you feel. I remember, you know, that line about you know you. You dig tunnels to each other's bedrooms uh, and then you remember your parents' bedrooms and the bedrooms of your friends. These small yeah. little personal moments on here. So much that I'll even forgive that one line from, uh, what was it? Uh, King of uh, Crown of Hearts or whatever, which was, uh, you know, like in, I'll engrave your in name onto my eyelids and it's just like okay calm down emo boy but like seriously <laughs> like it's like at the same time so many moments not even just the big singles uh, so many moments still strike and stand out and it's the tough thing about when you have an al- debut album that culturally significant that prominent and that popular is that in many ways it feels like almost every other album you did is kind of re- retouching or re-upping or being compared against that sound so I mean it was a tough thing there are other Kanye albums there are other brilliant Kanye albums this is a brilliant Kanye album it for me it had to be Arcade Fire I know it's kind of the critical line but like it was fantastic and it still is yeah 
So looking at 2000 now, I, my first, my first gut response. So you chose uh, badly drawn boy. My first gut response was like, Oh, that's the year hybrid theory came out. I also feel like I could make an argument for Swiss army romance by dashboard. Mm-hmm. That's because I'm uh, a still a, a childish warp tour kid. <laughs> I, <laughs> I could make an argument for who is Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wants to argue for country grammar, even though I know it's ridiculous, but the, so I want to get your take on Badly Drawn Boy here, but also quickly, what I think is most fascinating about hybrid theory here is that five to six years ago, if we talked about what was the best debut album of 2000, mm-hmm. people would have gone, oh, hybrid theory, remember that? Boy, new metal, that was sure dumb, wasn't it? And now we look back and we're like, well, you know, actually the new metal genre did some interesting things and kind of opening up where, you know, metal would go next and kind of opening the doors from metalcore to cross over into the uh, a mainstream audience. And boy, you know, Chester Bennington, he's kind of like one of the legendary rock performers of our time. So that one's really fascinating to me because that band and that era has like we've changed opinions on it so many times. Yeah, since and I 2000. feel like, like and even honestly, I feel like that was even happening prior to his passing genuinely yeah absolutely. i feel like you know in between that and also like you see these retrospective features talking about like and even you know you could talk about what it's all dead do and it's just like by the way we're celebrating 10 years of uh here comes the black parade uh yeah. and you know like all of a sudden like these albums that are just like oh they're part of a scene or whatever you realize they do have kind of a lasting effect because scenes come and go but sometimes those albums those songs even those music videos will stick with mm-hmm. you and as we all know you know it took a while for my chemical romance to peak with na 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 but at the same time <laughs> like you know it like and their debut album is very scrappy but like these things do hold weight and they ultimately sometimes will carry on sometimes they are the only remnants that we may have of a scene too so yeah. uh lincoln park you know between this and their jay-z collaborations everything like their legacy is secure but that album that one moment in particular is still captured a moment i think better than arguably any other album that they ever did yeah so you chose badly drawn boy uh talk a little bit about your choice for that year you justify your choice uh, <laughs> this was one of the toughest years i'm going to be uh fully 100 percent honest here uh because also on this year and on the complete opposite end of the spectrum and i truly do mean this uh parachutes by coldplay came out that year yeah and yeah, that's another good one. Oh my god and it's one of those things where you know also I get, i'm the guy writing this list so as much as like you know like well arcade fire is one where like i understand that's the critical line it's you know i get to throw myself in here too i get to do things and that's one of the things where you as a critic uh especially when you have a platform of any sort you still get to do that little bit to help shape or at least you know bring awareness to other records or other albums that you know may not be as known every year for pop matters i always write a list of the best pop albums and especially mm-hmm. recently i've been doing the best ambient instrumental albums which has been an absolute joy ride uh, but the thing is, when people like read that thing, and I know people are going to read that thing, there's an audience built into all those lists. Am I really going to go with Ariana Grande? You know, like it's one of the things, as much as she is, you know, very well respected, especially following Thank You Next and all that other stuff, like I would much rather use my platform to help give light to another artist. This year for Pop Matters, Kali Uchis had the debut album of the year, or the you know, best pop album of the year because let's be honest she put out a phenomenal album that just hooked me in and lured me back and so ultimately for here for a year where there's so many top-notch contenders i have to think about this album that had a personal feeling to me i am Mm -hmm. always that kind of guy when you think about uh the avalanches since i left you uh when you think about an album that no one's ever heard of or purchased by uh j ralph slash spy called music to mausner by my favorite album of all time i love albums that always 
go to different genres, but still sound like they come from the same artistic place. That's just always yeah. struck me. And I remember like 1999 watching The Box, the music video UHF channel on TV, and the video for uh, Once Around the Block by a Badly Drawn Boy come on there. And it's just kind of this wah acoustic guitar effect and these kind of jazzy xylophones and these just odd jazz lines and what's kind of a British pop song. I was so intrigued by it. And I remember opening up this album and there was just Santana disco moments and there was kind of these like dark basement U2 numbers and just acoustic and it just struck me of like how incredible this universe this person was able to create in their basement uh you know people talk about sometimes the basement galaxy i know it's a song reference and i can't remember what it is exactly but more than anything else that felt like a self-contained universe not just one guy writing a bunch of songs it was the production it was the sonics it was everything else feeling like i'm existing in a world that someone has immaculately crafted it has distinctive feels and textures and you're like walking through it every time you listen to it and few albums truly give you that sense because sometimes you hear a song like oh it's a pop single or anything else like that this really felt like an artistic world that was created so yes and against some really tough competition i had to go with this one because i i mean badly drawn boy he did the about a boy score which is phenomenal but then after that everything he did was imitating how good our bewilderbeast was it was a phenomenal one of my favorite albums of all time i wasn't gonna let it go without a mention even on a hotly contested year like this well, that that's that was beautifully articulated. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, you know, we're kind of focusing here on the the '90s and 2000s, and that's kind of where my wheelhouse lies, I guess, for back of a lack of a better um, way of explaining that. Now, I can go back into the '80s and look at some of these years. Like I'm looking at 1987, "Appetite for Discretion" by Guns N' Roses was the obvious choice. My heart. Uh, wants to argue for paid in full by Eric B and Rakim, but like mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those years where it's just like it's it's almost impossible to. And notice I did that as the runner up to yeah, Appetite for Destruction year too. I, I kind of had that. to I had to do that for my own heart too because like I can't just like blanket declaration this was the greatest. I got to have at least another mention in here. Gosh darn it! Yeah, um, a couple of others that I love: 1990, A Tribe Called Quest. I feel like a lot of people. Uh, might have either gone for Mariah Carey or Digital Underground there, but I, I you know, I'm a huge Tribe Called Quest fan. I, that's a, it's a really, that one's an interesting one because they did put out that I think their next two albums, I would argue, are better than this debut. But I think what Tribe was doing in 1990, uh, was fascinating and interesting and new enough that it pushes that debut kind of to the, the surface for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that too was like I started running onto a streak of like obviously the 80s is when rap music was coming into this four as both the critical and a commercial force but like just going year by year there was this uh, self-consciousness I had of like the runner-up for 1987 for me was Eric B and Rakim uh, the runner-up for 1988 was Ultramagnetic MC's Critical Beatdown and then you have 1989's Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul which was my pick for debut album because that just yeah. re I mean I, I still listen to that album there's still so much joy to be found on it but honestly, it, and I'll be honest, it wasn't until a couple of years ago they did the re-release of uh, People's and Seeks of Travels and Passive Rhythm by a Tribe when I picked it up and like my brother for the longest time had been going on about them. And I just like, oh, oh, 
Oh, <laughs> now I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I became absolutely obsessed with the tribe. And it was right around the time that they started coming out, obviously, with their uh, new album that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, yep. But like just going into the back of this debut, it still sounded fresh. The production was just so vibrant. And I've always liked Q-Tip as an MC, but just him as the, you know, as the ringleader, as the storyteller was just so incredible and fascinating and just joyous. And just, yeah, that one was just kind of a no-brainer for me as well, because even though it was weird contrasting that between the previous year with De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, these two albums kind of come from the same artistic place. But at yeah. the same time, uh, I think A Tribe just bettered it a little bit better. Because De La Soul, I love them. They were a little bit surface level in terms of their rhymes, even though Prince Paul's production work was next level. I feel like Tribe kind of expanded that lyrical sense just a little bit more on that one. Yeah, I, you stated that perfectly. And, you know, that De La Soul album obviously is fantastic as so, well. Prince Paul was, his production style was really such a big part of my kind of growing up and, and, and falling in love with hip hop. So it was really cool to see uh, them on the list as well. Because again, some people might have gone towards Bleach by Nirvana, which I would uh, squint at eye at anybody that did because it's like, I, <laughs> did you did you actually listen to that? Yeah, uh, back in 1989. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> speaking of hip hop, though, '93 uh, was an interesting one. I you know I think most people would pick Bjork here if I'm being honest. Like, um, but I again, this is one where my heart's kind of like uh, Enter the Wu Tang, Thirty Six Chambers. That was an album for me that. Uh, again kind of that next progression this is such a young genre and these kind of the stretch from late 80s into early 90s is such a fascinating time for hip-hop because each year you're seeing something new happen and you know wu-tang i mean we hadn't heard this collective thing before mm -hmm. you know like that was a part of the hip-hop underground but for the mainstream audience it was like what there's like seven eight guys here like what, what's happening like that is a, is an all-time great uh debut album but uh, again i feel like that's one where I'm kind of letting my own personal feelings get in the way because I, it, it's just so hard to argue against Bjork. Uh, on that year right and that was and that was a very difficult one as well and besides we all know everyone's favorite rapper is you god so it just it had, it had <laughs> to go there uh but i'm just curious uh kyle what was the one year that you felt like you had the biggest disagreement with okay so <laughs> let me uh I've, I've got a few here 2000 was one of them we talked about that uh, -huh. uh 2001 well i've got a few so I, i'm trying to decide in the moment like what was my biggest um, hiccup probably 2004 I just I think I could argue the college dropout the best for that which year. was my runner up um, for that year I want to mention yep <laughs> yeah so close call um, the, the two others that I'm looking at here and and there's going to be a third but I can argue myself in and out of it but the two others I was looking at 2001 I felt like uh, is this it by the strokes um, probably should have uh, I mean did, what did you have for 2001 I'm trying to Oh yeah, Cannibal Ox. That that one shocked me I, because I feel like I feel like the Strokes and Gorillas both would be the like number the one and number two. There. Obviously, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and that's one where, uh, in terms of looking at it too, this is another one where, as a critic, as a person in this platform, are you going to continue to toe the line or are you also going to actually do some digging and research? Because 
you know, if yeah. 10 years from now we're still putting out, you know, lists of the greatest albums of all time and they still have the same 500 albums on there, you know, or whatever, 100, whatever, I think that gets a little bit boring and I think also kind of defies the fact that, especially in the era of streaming, it's so much easier for people to listen to and pick up and discover some of these lesser known gems. And so, yeah, we all know that The Strokes is this it. And oh my God, let me tell you, dude, I got to be honest. The Strokes is this it. I have never had such a love hate relationship with a single album <laughs> in my entire yeah. life. I I got it when it came out. I was part of the hype train back in 2001. I absolutely did. And I remember back in the day, I think I sold it and rebought that CD at least three times because I'm just like, ah, it's not as good as people say it is. And then some of those songs just start working in the back of your mind. Like, oh, I got to hear it again. And I keep going through the same like emotions every single time. And so like, it was difficult for me. I know critically it is still beloved. I know. I mean, honestly, let's be real. The heart and soul of that band is Albert Hammond Jr. Uh, he is an incredible songwriter and an astonishing guitarist. And they had an incredible sense of pop melody that I think they really went a little bit further on in terms of real on fire their second album but like it just like one of those things where like i keep listening to that and then i come back to cannibal ox and this was a year where we have gorillas where we have all killer no filler by some 41 and it's just like yeah. cannibal ox when you think about uh that production on there and how that group came back and they just couldn't match the level of what lp was able to do there this is one of those rare times where a vast air is an incredible mc but the production almost overshines the group. It was, and I love LP. I love his debut album. I love a lot of what he's done, in, even in Company Flow. But like genuinely here, the production, that Blade Runner style thing, no one had ever quite heard it. And that's the thing, like when you think about Wu-Tang's Enter the Chambers, that was another thing where the production had taken on a whole new level because instead of using the traditional, uh, you know, beat structure that a lot of people were used to, here we are using Kung Fu movies. We're using a lot of kind of like weird out there and sometimes Oriental beats to kind Kind of make these songs and give it an extra bang and extra distinctiveness what lp did with cannibal ox's debut album was just it like it took blade runner and t turned it into beats it was just incredible yeah. the way that he was able to just come almost completely rewrite the formula and it was never a huge commercial success uh but it was one that was always critically loved and that album always it's dark as hell you got to be in the mood for it. it's a good winter album but like that one just struck yeah. me as just like in terms of the platform that i have here Am I going to continue to toe the line or do I really want to celebrate what I think genuinely is the best debut there? So that was a bold choice, but I was happy to yeah. make it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a couple other recent years that were interesting. 2005, you went with the LCD sound system. I think most people would choose that. I would argue A Fever You Can't Sweat Out by Panic at the Disco is a really fascinating debut, especially considering what's happened with that name, Panic at the Disco, since then and what Brendan Urie's been able to accomplish since that time is kind of fascinating. Uh, 2011 was really interesting because I, and you have the runner up as Torches by Foster the People. I feel like this is our modern, our most recent example of a really great debut album that that's all we're going to get yeah. <laughs> that we're really going to enjoy. I, I don't know how you feel about Foster the People, but certainly I, I don't anticipate anything coming uh, down the pike that's going to rival what they did with that debut. And I, I love that idea of the debut album discussion as well as like really great debuts that were just never able to be matched. Um, but one, so this is going to be a recency bias thing. Looking at 2013, we're just too close mm -hmm. to it, but I'd look at 2013 dear, God, <laughs> run the jewels. My name is my name by Pusha T. The bones of what you believe by churches. The 1975 days are gone by Heim. You chose Lord at pure heroin. And that's probably the right choice, but I'm looking at this and I can argue all of these albums. Like I, has there, has, 
in terms of I, how are we going to look at 2013 10 years from now? I'll ask you that. When we look back, are we going to look at this as convoluted and insane as we're looking at it right now? Like, is time going to like... Because I can see a lot of these bands like continuing to grow, continuing to evolve, continuing to be relevant in the space. It's just, it's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, I feel like a, a year is emblic more of what a culture was at the time. Honestly, when I look back just one year prior to 2012, that's a year where, interestingly, the debut albums that we had there was uh, Channel Orange by Frank Ocean, uh, Born to Die by Lana Del Rey, and The Heist by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and to be honest, uh, the, my runner-up for that year, Devotion by Jesse Ware. But that's an album where you look about it, the sexual conversation had changed in that year. Yeah. All of a sudden, I mean, the thing is, I kind of, I still to this day kind of hate that Channel Orange was as hyped as what it was because of the reveal that Frank Ocean was queer, or at least bisexual at the time. Because genuinely, right. like that is as much as people latched onto that, I still feel like that was to a degree the least interesting part of the album, too. And I, you know, mm -hmm. like it was important because here we are in RB hip hop culture, which has been traditionally, uh, you know, toxic masculinity dominant for someone yep. to actually come out like that and that to be a big deal. Uh, it, but then at the same time, you also have Same Love by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis come out that year. You have uh, Lana Del Rey's kind of like self-involved you know, like narcissistic fatalism that's kind of on play here and it really feels like if these are the albums that are popular if these are the debuts that are making waves around here an awesome wave to quote all jay uh, i feel like genuinely that's a year where a 2012 i'm not sure if there's anything distinctive about it but you can see from those albums where the culture was right there 2013 yeah. is when things i really feel like this was probably the year when streaming probably took over because 1975 and Pusha T, these are albums that I feel like, and especially like Settled by Disclosure, that was probably one of the first things ever streamed on Spotify back in the day. I'm still not a big Spotify guy to this day, but even then you have that, you have Run the Jewels who are putting out their albums for free and all of a sudden they're getting bookings because right. people are latching onto that. This is the year where culturally I see more of a break in terms of how we're listening to things than anything else. And because the these list of debut albums, the fact that we have Bones of What You Believe by Churches and Days Are Gone by Haim and Pure Heroin by Lord, the conversation again is changing lord was that goddamn uh royal song just dominated for like i remember it's like number one for 11 weeks or something like that it's oh, just yeah. completely changing yeah. everything but at the same time people latched onto her not because of that but because they started digging into the album because we had tennis court because we had team because we had one of my mm -hmm. all-time favorite songs ribs on that album too like it just became so much more than that and because of the streaming era i feel like we're focusing less on singles people could really latch onto an album people could really dive into it on that in there so for me that's what i remember that time too and also i love them dearly but 1975 debut album is nowhere near in the conversation of greatest debut albums that year i love them it was fun it was disposable but they got so much weirder so much better in my opinion uh in, yeah since then oh i agree yeah. for sure but my argument there is that i don't think the weirdness would have meant as much without that debut album mm -hmm. I, I look back at it now almost as like they were setting themselves up to be able to do what they really wanted to Ooh, do. Because yeah. when you listen to it, I like it when you sleep. It's like constantly self-referential and meta in light of the debut album. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that like on, on its own in a vacuum, I agree with you 100%. I, but I also think these past two releases aren't quite as interesting without that debut. That's, that's a um, good point. And I still remember when uh, Love Me came out off of that second album, I remember going, what the fuck yeah. is this shit? 
I hate it fucking bad. <laughs> I didn't like their debut, and I don't like this. And then I was seeing them live uh, at culture at uh, Lollapalooza in 2016 when all of that album, especially uh, as the single, when that kind of came into light. And I'm just like, oh yeah. shit, I love them, don't I? God damn it, I yeah. love everything they're gonna <laughs> do now. I'm gonna be fascinated by every little twerk and turn of their personality. Like it just became a whole yeah. thing after that. I still have issues with their, as you discussed in your uh, 2018 year end wrap up. I personally still have issues with their new album i'm still trying to figure it out to this day but yeah just a fascinating yeah. the fact that they came from this debut album from this very new direct uh one direction approved pop sense to where they are now is still incredible but yeah yeah fascinating yeah. um I, I love you i i had frank ocean and bold in 2012 just as a 100 percent lock for me uh channel orange and blonde are two of my favorite albums of this past decade i think you make a really interesting point and that's fascinating to think about the idea of um of frank as an individual at that time and that that narrative overshadowing what is such a complex and fascinating album i think a lot of it is so much tied to his connections with odd future mm -hmm. and how just the i mean just the devastating toxic masculinity of, of that group and kind of being these last torchbearers of an older era of hip-hop that had clearly um, run its course. Um, but that, that is a really interesting conversation. And I, and I think that's another album that over time we'll continue to look back with, with a little bit more nuance and a little bit more interest. Um, I think dissect uh, this past season, the podcast um, breaking down blonde and channel orange was kind of an interesting next step for us to kind of like go back and start parsing some of this out a little bit. And, um, but yeah, for me, uh, 2012 is just such a, I can't think of that year without thinking about Frank right. Ocean. And the other thing is that, like, this we're recording this podcast at the very start of 2019. You know, almost you know, like six, seven years later. And the thing is that, like, when I think about all that hype that was about his sexuality then, and just how utterly no one cares about that stuff now, genuinely. Right. Uh, there was a podcast I was listening to that Casey Musgraves was on, and she was talking about how uh, the country singer, I believe Luke Bryan, is had a, had a song that went number one on the country charts for him that was basically like, ah, oh, gays are okay. And, uh, and like him getting celebrated for it, like, wow, what a proud statement. And she's like, Hey, that's cool. I had been doing that for a while now, but okay, no, that's fine. That's right. Great. You know, which was just, and the thing is that like the fact that even country music is being affected in that way still is interesting. And I feel like yeah. when I look back at these debut albums and you see those trend lines, you realize that like, again, people just stopped caring at that point. And I think it was fantastic. Now they just like, who, who cares? You're just doing your thing right now. And now we have much other greater right. issues to worry about, which I'm sure will come out in 2019's debut albums. We'll see so many there. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, so tell me a little bit about, did you feel like there was, as you got into this and we're putting it together, was there a certain decade that felt like most in your wheelhouse or just the, the decade maybe you had the most fun with? So 2000s was, I mean, it was just, it goes back to familiarity because like when you think yeah. about a year like 2008, when you had Los Campesinos versus Adele versus Santa Gold versus Fleet Foxes versus Lady Gaga and Vampire Weekend, like that's, you know, like that's, that's something I can speak to because I already have all these albums. I know all these albums pretty much. Right. When I go into like, when I started going into like uh, something 2017, and we have Brockhampton, Sampton, uh, sorry, Brockhampton, Sampha, 21 Savage, Jadena, Dua Lipa, Priest, SZA. Like, it's just like, wow, it just feels like, it still feels so fresh. It still feels so new. It just felt odd kind 
kind of putting a stamp on it too because it just like these are the debuts yeah i feel like because i mean and it's just a passage of time thing because a lot of the other ones even from like 2008 or whatever like oh that's a classic obviously and these new ones although they're popular and critically loved it's like is this a classic does that does that feel right you know kind of thing then right. the real difficulty is when you start getting into a lot of the older years and that's kind of where i had a lot of the fun too in terms of like okay i know these bands are popular but are these classics? And I remember my big reveal came to when it was around 1974, when we had the debut album by Rush, which even Rush heads will acknowledge is pretty much not the band at that point. So let's be real. Right. Uh, and then that's when it, I also had the, my runner up was meet the residents by the residents who are the, you know, strangest avant-garde rock band of all time. And then my pick for 1974. And I sat down with it and I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, it's gotta be the debut album by kiss. Yeah, I like love as much as we, you know, uh, are maligned them for being the people that, you know, like made churned out kiss coffins and other, you know, merchandising feats of amazement. Like you sit down with that big <laughs> album when that none of that was relevant. They just had oh crazy face makeup or whatever, and just like oh wait, this is the album that has Black Diamond on it. Oh, this is the album that has Cold mm-hmm. Gin on it. Oh, this has Deuce on it. And you realize like no, before any of that, it was just pure rock. It was just pure rock pop fantasy. And it was great for that. So that was probably the thing where, like, I knew a lot of these tent poles. And the other thing, too, was, like, discovering a lot of other groups that you think would have been, like, shoe-ins. Like, oh, of course, this band, they had a great, like, I, I, I don't know about that. There was that thing of, like, Talking Head mm-hmm. 77 is kind of a contentious album. Because you think about that and, like, ah, that's good, but is it, like, the best? Or even when you think about, like, Foreigner's yeah. debut album came out in 1977, Damn, Damn, Damned by The Damned came out. I had a hard time with 1977 because I had to cut Marquee Moon by television. I love that album dearly and profoundly. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, I'm like, in terms of the conversation of some of these other groups, I, I, I don't think I can do it. I can't put it in there. I can't put it in a runner-up slot. Like, that was just kind of a thing of, like, you know these bands, you know what they've done, and just realizing oh, maybe their debut album isn't the best best iteration of what they did. Yeah, well, that that is really interesting to think about, kind of, especially the further you go back, the more set in stone, kind of the, the general narrative and ideas about a given year in music have become. So going back and starting to kind of poke at some of those things and question those things, I think is was kind of my, my favorite thing about this piece that you did. Um, so yeah, this has been fun to talk about. Have I, have I missed anything about this that you feel like we... We should be discussing are there other points to this that uh would that you know you would like brought up um i honestly the only thing i would ask for anyone is just to go in and check out your own calls just because the the fact that we're doing a debut album by year what is the best debut instead of just best debut albums in general was such a unique and distinctive little niche that i had a couple years where i had to really push myself i gotta be a hundred percent honest with you guys 1975 I had uh, Patty, oh no, sorry, yeah, 1975, there were only four albums, which was Horses by Patty Smith, High Voltage by ACDC, Journey by, and oh, I'm sorry, three, and Journey by Journey. And it's just like, oh, yeah. that's, wait, and I remember researching and looking back, like, there's got to have been more prominent debuts, and no, there was nothing that significant that came out in 1975. It was just like an odd year where some years will just be the times when we have the Titans that are just romping around and rolling and, you know, conquering everything. We're going to have the Queen, we're going to have right. Springsteen, we're going to have all these other groups putting out their second third fourth albums and then the times like yeah it's just not the year for debuts which was just a fascinating thing i implore and encourage everyone to go out there and then i would go ahead and do things like maybe talk up kyle and be like hey just out of curiosity what would your pick be for 1994 just to see what he would say also 
Yeah. What would your pick be for 1994? That was a very tough year for me too. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, boy, Ready to Die by Notorious B.I.G. is really hard to argue against, but Illmatic by Nas is one of my all time favorite albums. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I, I had that one locked in bold, uh, as I went through the list. So, um, you Diary by Sunny Day right... Real Estate. Yeah. Yeah. You made the right call there, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, Sunday Real Estate, that's huge. Uh, you know, Outcast. I mean, that Southern playlist of Cadillac music was was interesting, but that's another band that just got so much more interesting as time went on. I, I mean, uh, for me, Outcast really became who Outcast was in '98 mm-hmm. um, with Equimini. So um, Nas, Illmatic was just such an important album in so many ways that it's hard to argue anything above it for '94. So here's another question then for you, though, because I think about some of the bands that you guys have covered a lot on It's All Dead. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think about your love of the Wonder Years, and of course, uh, Fall Out Boy and other groups that have come and gone. Uh, so my question to you, because I got my favorites, I got my Picadillos here. But ultimately, there were some times when you just have to realize that, oh, man, maybe the debut album isn't the best iteration of them. And so, like, there were mm-hmm. some groups that like Flaming Lips and Prince, uh, other artists that was just like, yeah, I don't think I can necessarily put them on this list because I don't think their debut albums add up to anything. Thing. So it was just kind of weird to have a lot of your favorites just immediately be off the cutting block because yeah. they're just not going to be in there. So for you personally, who's a group that like you would be surprised? Like, I don't think I can do it because they just didn't have a debut album that is worth worth that same conversation about. Yeah, I was I, the, one of the first things I was looking back uh, here was, you know, Fallout Boys, Take This to Your Grave um, was kind of a, a big moment for 2003 in terms of a band in the scene that was kind of on the cusp. Um, I, that isn't on the, your short list, um, for that year, but also like it's in hindsight, it's hard to argue that take this to your grave is like really sums up who fallout boy is. Mm -hmm. It's a great pop punk album. It's a fun debut, but I mean, infinity on high is a brilliant album and folly ado is a great album. So like there's, there's little things like that. Um, I was surprised to see I brought you my bullets. You brought me your love by mechanical romance uh, on your your short list for 2002, just because that that album is so forgotten in light mm-hmm. of uh, the Black Parade and um, uh, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of that, just when I think about the scene, really the one debut that sticks out in my mind, and I already brought it up earlier, the one the one band that came out swinging and just crushed it on their debut is Panic at the Disco, if you, if you can't sweat out. I mean, that's just kind of a, that's one for me where I look at and I'm like, I can argue that as the band's best album. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. But, and I also like to point out that's the same album that has, there's a good reason these tables are a number of honey, you just haven't thought of it yet. So, classic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> certainly, a, <laughs> yeah, certainly a, a you know, beholden to its time and with its flaws uh for sure well cool yeah well this has been fantastic um i i'm gonna keep looking at this i'm going to and i you know again if you haven't checked it out go to yardbarker.com take a look at this Uh, it it's i've got a lot more time to spend with this um, but i'm glad we were able to get a conversation in early 
Um, one other thing I want to talk about before we wrap up your your podcast, the Chartographers. We talked about it briefly uh, the last time you came on this podcast. Um, you just finished up. Well, first the the podcast. The general premise here is you rank a artist or band's discography, um, which is really fascinating. It's a cool podcast because it's one that you know if you want to listen to every episode, you can. You can also go pick and choose like certain ones, like certain conversations that you're going to find are really interesting. It's it, it's always great. Plus, you have awesome guests come on that kind of add to the conversation. So all around a fantastic podcast. You just put out uh, the second annual Charty Awards. Tell us a little bit about. Uh, what that is so uh it's the thing is that we've been doing this uh me and my fiance have been doing this podcast for the past three years we've recorded over a hundred episodes sometimes we break it up into two parts where we bring in a guest and just rank all the albums which is crazy because when you do things like oh we're gonna rank all the albums of guster it's like oh I have to listen to a lot of Guster albums this week yeah. to kind of dive into it. Uh, and the, the great thing for me is that like, for me as a music critic, I just, I realize that I will never be able to fully realize every album and every genre, but it certainly doesn't hurt to try. And doing this podcast has introduced me to like, I always dismissed Whitney Houston as just a general pop diva. We did our Whitney Houston episode this season and it just rewrote the rules of uh, everything I knew about her. Same, honestly, yeah. genuinely with Billy Joel, because our uh, Pop Matters friend Bryce is has been pounding the horn for years of like critics always dismissed him as this piano pop fluff and then you actually dig into it and you're like oh wait he's actually a next level genius songwriter who gets a bad rap except for you know in the 90s when he sucked and that was legit but still yeah. like i get to, i get to learn all these things fill in these holes in my knowledge base that i have been uh, gone for so long and so we've been recording for about nine months we've been recording like when anytime we're not recording we're doing research into a given artist and so for us to like wrap up the year we just had a silly uh amazing award show where we gave out awards to our guests for like best guest one-liner best mispronunciation most memorable <laughs> clips from uh, other categories that we couldn't really use like it's just kind of a little fun to look back on terms of the laughs that we had because yeah. we're taking a break for a while for some reason when we started it we're like yeah let's do 15 artists a season not realizing the kind of uh, time weight that that would actually uh, you know like put on us so we're taking a little bit of break we're going to come back with a smaller season in 2019 like five artists maybe but like it's, okay. it's a fun little just a fun little thing you know we just wanted to kind of put it out there it's a two-hour goof fest that hopefully people will enjoy due to my charming and shining personality cough <laughs> i love it uh what albums are you what are you most excited about for 2019 other than your upcoming wedding uh in terms of music what are what are you looking forward to? Um, man, uh, I'm first off, I'm going to be excited as heck to actually see more live artists this year. I feel like this was the year where I haven't been able to see as many or like the times that we do was just always kind of a last minute thing of like, oh, yeah, we absolutely did see that. Uh, and one of our favorite concerts we had this year was this uh, uh, I, I, uh, Scandinavian artist. Uh, I am, am I, who am I? Slash Yona Lee. She'd put out weird Bjork style, oddball, left wing kind of music for years. We got to see her in live on a Kickstarter kickstarter funded concert tour this year one of her dates was in chicago we were all there and like after the first song she like bent down to the front of the stage and put her hand to her mouth because it was clear she was about to break into tears because she wasn't expecting her own music to get this kind of response from a crowd like mm. moments like that i was just so yeah. 
anticipated for. And so as much as I would love to get excited about Yandi, uh, this is a year where like, <laughs> and I feel like it's just as a critic, I become less and less interested in the new hot uh, big name releases as years go on. I'm just always more interested sure. in these weird obscure debuts of just, and, and like I've been pushing myself these last two years to dig more into Bandcamp, to dig more into off the beaten path stuff that isn't like publicist driven kind of songs and albums too, because they, sometimes yeah. publicists will have a great artist that no one's ever going to hear. I totally get that. I want to try and give them the time of day. So like, it's odd how like this year, like there's not a particular thing that I'm super, super excited about. I'm just curious to see. I'm very curious to see how that say anything album turns out because I've kind of fallen off the wagon a mm-hmm. little bit after loving them for so long, but you know, we will, we will see, we'll see what happens. Love you, Max Beamer. Sure. You know, we will, we will take it to take it hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we've been counting down our, our top albums and I won't reveal number one, but personally, Dua Lipa, I just, I'm so into her right mm-hmm. now and I cannot wait to see what comes next. So I don't know. That's me. And her song, 2019 is here. And her song, uh, One Kiss with Calvin Harris was one of the best ones released over the last year. I was so excited about that. Uh, and yeah. I hope that leads to other future things. Also, she uh, did a song with the K-pop group Blackpink, who now have a near headlining slot in, uh, what was it uh coachella yeah this year yeah it's yeah. crazy that's the other thing about this year I'm, I'm very curious to see a lot of between uh blackpink and bts a lot of k-pop artists have made inroads not that it's specifically a thing but much as how we used uh talked about that one year when it felt like sexuality just became less and less part of the conversation people like just whatever sure. i genuinely feel like over the last two years language is turning into that same thing too despacito mm-hmm. was inescapable and that's a song that was yeah. and then you have that plus also uh i like it by cardi b which had uh you know right. all, nearly half of the song sung in spanish i think people are getting to this point like a good pop song is a good pop song and regardless of whether it's korean or hispanic or any other genre we'll probably get a russian hit here soon who knows uh like legitimately <laughs> like i feel like that's becoming yeah. less and less of a barrier and i love that it's happening and i'm just curious to see yeah. how it plays out and how it's going to happen in the next year or two yeah i'm with you uh very very cool stuff. And Evan, uh, this conversation went even better than I hoped it could have. Thank you for continuing to be uh, such a, uh awesome uh, music expert and, uh, you know, just continuing to I, I just love the conversations we have. Love reading your stuff. Uh, if you like what you hear on this podcast, check Evan out at Yard Barker Pop Matters, Chartographers. Really, anywhere where music, good music journalism can be found. Aww, so. You're sweet. And congratulations to a fabulous five years of It's All Dead. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, that is going to do it for this episode of It's All Dead. Um, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app or platform. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, come back next time for another episode of this podcast. That's going to do it for now. I'm Kyle Hawk, and we'll catch you next time.